It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. I am your host, Stan Dryav, my co-host, the Joshua Fabia to my Diego Sanchez, Nick Braccia. It is good to be on with you, buddy. It's good to be on with you, too. I like flipping you upside down, kicking the shit out of you. But I think what's more important and interesting is that I was able to apply uh, my one-finger death punch uh, to you this past weekend uh, in, terms of, in terms of the fight scoring. After you trolled my pick so bad with your dancing Stanislav Jaraev, I got six of my eight top picks. I got six of my eight top picks. And then I got all the points with my brilliant drafting. So, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit something to that school of self-awareness. Perhaps you should enroll. So you think I should join Joshua Fabia's school of self-awareness and my fellow training partners will be Diego Sanchez and Stefan Bonner. I feel like if I'm going to join a cult, I feel like it needs to have a bigger following to begin with. I can't be the third guy to join a cult, Nick. Could you be the fourth guy? I could be the fourth guy. Would you be the third guy if I if I enroll as, as no, the fourth guy? No, the third the third guy has to be like Chris Lieben or Artem Lobov <laughs> or um or Shoney Carter. These are all candidates. I feel like Shoney Carter could could start a cult before he joins one, but maybe you're right. I could see Chris Lieben getting into this as kind of the next chapter of his career after his actually very successful stint in uh, bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, I feel, you know, I, everyone seems to be feeling bad for for Diego. There's also, it seems that there's all sorts of innuendo right now that, that he he and, and Josh have a more than friends relationship. I think the innuendo only comes from Donald Cerrone, who has said racist things in the past and has oh. said other homophobic things in the past. Um, there are pictures of, of the two guys, maybe with their shirt off, shirts off pretty close, taking a selfie. But I don't know that's meant to suggest that. And even if it is the case, like, why is it anybody's business? Yeah. Also, that's the, that would be by far. The, that's not an that's not an egregious thing, but no. it's just another it's another obviously. But it's another wrinkle to what's a very, very strange dynamic. And you have a lot of people who cared a lot about Diego Sanchez who are now seem concerned for his well-being and, and wish him luck. But you also get the sense of resignation from a lot of the people who are speaking out now like they've. Uh, tried to reach out, felt there was something they can do, but but they're kind of like, you know, good luck to him at this point. There's not much, not much we can do. Yeah, I get the impression that Diego was always the kind of guy that needs a leader, and usually it takes form in, in, in a coach of some sort. And man, Joshua Fabia is the kind of guy that will take advantage of that shit. The man is kind of, I mean, he's nuts. He calls his movement if you will the school of self-awareness and he might be the least self-aware person in mma and nick that's in mixed martial arts that's really really saying something right he's he's an absolute wackadoo he like they keep posting these videos that are supposed to i think make the ufc look bad but actually just show the level of douchebaggery that joshua fabia is able to pull off like the first video at least i saw was the fighter meeting with uh john anik paul felder and I, I think um, I think Angela Hill is off camera there, and also Megan O'Leavy is there. I, I think there's one other person that I might be missing, but man, like Joshua Fabia just inserts himself into the conversation, uh, 
warns the broadcasters to paint Diego in the most positive possible light and then goes on to explain to them that the way to know more about Diego is to speak to him, that he's the guy and that everybody needs to respect the fact that Diego and Stefan Bonner respect him. Therefore, he deserves everyone's respect. The guy's fucking insane, Nick. Just really, really confrontational. Kind of reminds me of me uh, in a way, except I don't really have the ability to get like high-level or formerly high-level pro fighters who are suffering from CTE to follow me for life. That's a good goal for Q3, Q4. <laughs> but yeah, sad, sad state of affairs. Um, sort of like the car, the way the card shaped up <laughs> to segue. Um, the Rodriguez-Waterson card, which lost uh, its very interesting main event of TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sanhagen. For a ten for a nine card or nine fight card, it, there were some surprises and there was some action and good stuff. But what did you what did you like? Let's go through the let's go through the business. So quickly, I want to give you props on your solid picks, Nick. You scored with four uh, successful picks. I unfortunately only had two successful picks, and that didn't look very good for me. Now, granted, one of my losses was. The uh, again, another robbery of a decision that's two weeks in a row now where I should be a couple points up instead. I'm a couple points down. Still overall a pretty good card on paper. Obviously, we got to talk about the main event where Marina Rodriguez has officially arrived in this division. It could be argued that her last win over the aforementioned Amanda Hebos was a fluke, right? She landed that right hand after losing the first round off of her back, which is a common thing for her where she spends at least one round almost the entire round, tilled the bell on her back against the decent grappler of an opponent. Um, she did catch Hebos in the second round there. And in this matchup, she was facing a girl in Watterson who has a good ground game. She's gone for takedowns against the right kind of opponents where she needs it. And she's probably better on the ground, in my opinion, offensively than she is standing up at this point, even though she's known for her karate. Um, she just really couldn't take it there often enough and she couldn't keep it there. The thing about Marina Rodriguez is that if you take her to the ground, she's, yeah, she's a bit of a fish out of water. She's not going to know how to get up. She's not going to throw anything offensive, but she can certainly survive. And we haven't seen anybody get to the point of actually finishing her on the ground. And that goes a long way, especially in a matchup like this. She was able to really put pressure and numbers onto Michelle Watterson. And her clinch game was so nasty, Nick. She just kept it at a range where Watterson was very uncomfortable. And not the level of clinch that would allow Watterson to throw that head and arm throw but just enough of a clinch distance where she was able to keep her at elbow distance uh, with her head framed and landing those knees and elbows. Really, really good performance by Rodriguez. What'd you think? I agree. I mean, Waterson, I was frankly, I was a little more impressed with her victory over Hebus. Like I like Michelle Waterson a lot and she did attempt that, that, that throw. I think frankly, she was just too short. The, the size disparity was pretty ridiculous It was uh, in this fight. I know Michelle Waterson's got, got very muscular legs, but the fact of the matter is she's usually, uh, She's usually fighting at straw weight as a, you know, she's a bulked up atom weight fighting at straw weight. In this fight, she was a bulked up atom weight fighting at flyweight. Um, and she was, she was technically really crisp. She was super durable. Um, she had tremendous stamina, which allowed her to win on at least one judge's scorecard, round, both rounds four and five. Uh, and she, you know, she looked good. She, land, she also, she landed a lot of strikes. She, she landed uh, plenty of kicks. Um, and was never in, in, you know, terrible amount of trouble. You know, Marina Rodriguez was reminded, it reminded me a little bit in some ways of Aldo versus, um, oh my God, help me out here. Mark. Oh, Mark. What's his name? Mark Hominick. Thank you. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, Marina was was piecing her up mostly. She had the volume. She had more significant strikes. Not as much uh, pop on, you know, on them. I think she, I think she fought a little conservatively because she knew this, this was her moment. But she looked really good. She there always is, does. It, 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 it is a concern. It is a concern that uh, that a bulked up Adam weight what was able to take her down late in the fight. Just because when you're starting, you know, you don't have to squint too much to see. Rodriguez getting a chance against Shevchenko after one fight. Maybe she doesn't need one more fight as the UFC looks for more, you know, for viable um, contenders. I don't think she's planning on. Of, I don't think she's Jessica planning on staying Andrade, at one twenty-five, Nick. I think this Marina was like Rodriguez? a really, uh, yeah. I think this was like a really last-minute booking because they needed a main event. I don't even think this fight was officially on this card as of a few weeks ago. I think the UFC well, made she some was, phone but she calls. Fought, mm-hmm. But she fought Amanda Hibas at one twenty-five. Oh, I thought that was one fifteen. Really? Maybe you're right. Maybe she has officially. Started. No, Amanda. He, um, Amanda Hebus is a one twenty. No, that was fighter. a one fifteen. She, no, she's a one fifteen fighter. She uh, she was fighting Angela Hill. Who's at one fifteen? Angela Hill fights oh. at one fifteen. You know that, right? I guess she does. Yeah, I guess I got confused. I had Angie you know, at one twenty five for something. Rodriguez some is a big one fifteen pounder. Um, but honestly, she could fill out 125 just fine. It's just you're right, the grapplers in that division. I thought, she, yeah, I forgot. I thought the Hebus fight was at 125, so that's that's my mistake. Um, so yeah, at one, at one, if she's if she's going to fight at 115, that's really you know that's really interesting. This is it was a terrific fight. I think that Marina Rodriguez at uh, at 115 um, is going to pose some problems if she if she does fight at that weight class. I've got to go to the rankings. Right now to see because if we're talking 115, not 125, um, you know what's what's the fight for her? Do you um, do you do you match her up against uh, Wei Li Zhang? Like that's you know that's interesting. I don't I don't think Zhang gets a gets a shot at Nami Yunus after just uh, one t- you know after one title defense. Yeah, and I don't think Nami Yunus is very interested in that matchup either. Uh, yeah, I would be happy with a matchup against the former champion, if only because Wei Li Zhang generally tends to stand, and that could be just a fun, especially if it's a five-round fight. And we see now that Marina, even on short notice, has the cardio to go five rounds pretty hard. I I would like to see that matchup. I think I think more realistically, like if Carla Sparza can come out with a win, I think she's competing in the next couple of weeks. That could be very likely. Um, I hope they don't do like a prospect versus prospect with Mackenzie Dern just because I think like one of these will be eliminated and then we won't have a contender. And we're looking for contenders if Rose is not willing to fight Weili Zhang or Joanna Janjacek in the near future. So I, I, I'm kind of looking for either Dern or Rodriguez to fight the winner of the Yao Zhenan Carlos Sparza matchup. Winner of that gets yeah. a title shot. Although yeah, I think if Carlos Sparza comes out with a win over Yao Zhenan, she has an excellent argument to make to face Rose Namajunas because she uh, beat Rose in both their UFC debuts for the this very title years ago when Rose was you know way less mature and not really ready for the big time yet. Um, that would be fascinating. There's there's an argument you know th- there's a sellability to that fight that I think the UFC would be attracted to. Yeah, and I guess I mean, can the UFC not can they resist booking Weili Zhang join a champion rematch at this at this stage? I think it's likely, and I think it makes sense since neither is up for fighting Rose Namajunas at the moment. And if Whaley Zhang can pick up another win over Joanna, then she's a shoe in for a title shot. Yep. 
And if Joanna wins, she gets another, you know, gets another crack, a third crack. I wonder, man. I don't know, man. I mean, the second, the second fight was awfully close. It, no, I agree. It was close. It's just Rose, like Rose saying that she's not interested in Weili Zhang. And then um, there was some video of Rose in the locker room after her win over Weili, basically saying like, Joanna, I like Joanna, but she must be really disappointed right now. Like as if to insinuate that Joanna can't fight Rose again since she lost her twice. So I wouldn't be surprised if Rose wouldn't want that matchup, um, just given where her headspace is at when it comes to her career at the moment. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't complain too much about it. I just feel like other people deserve an opportunity. It's just tough with Joanna because she can beat everyone, maybe everyone but Rose in this division because there's still a strong argue, argument to be made that Joanna beat Weili Zhang on that night. And, and that, I mean, Joanna, the second fight against her, I'm not convinced that she can't beat Rose on a good day. Um, I just feel like she's never stars. developed the there, angle. There she's never stars. developed the variety in her game. Mm-hmm. Her durability is not amazing. She has no power. It's a tough... Like, it's tough to just put numbers on Rose as long as Rose is in shape. But yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 she has a chance, right? It's not that she doesn't have a chance. She has a higher chance, certainly, than, uh, for example, Israel had a well, probably equal chance that Israel has against Jan Blachowicz in a rematch a couple years down the line. So there's a chance. I just I just feel like it's odds are Rose won't want the matchup, which is why I tend to think Esparza and like the winner of a Dern Rodriguez next matchup could have a good argument to make. Um, you know, uh, sure. I tend to think that's where the next uh, uh, contender is going to come from. If I had my druthers, I would have Marina Rodriguez face off with Joanna if they're not doing the uh, the Weili Zhang rematch. And if they are, I then, like that. I like that. Yeah, and if they are, then either Claudia Gadelia or Nina Ansaroff. Both girls are ranked below Rodriguez at this point, but those would be interesting, fun tests, especially with yeah, I think Claudia Gadelia's right ground game. Yeah. I think it's probably like, yeah. yeah, this version of uh, Gadelia, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, but it would be an interesting test of her ground game because she tends to spend at least one round on her back. And Gadelia, you know, if she has all her faculties, she can be extremely dangerous on the ground, as we saw much earlier in her career. Uh uh, not so yeah. much recently, though. So let's quickly move down the line here. You were right about this one, Nick. Uh, we disagreed, and I have to give you all the props in the world. You picked Alex Morono to beat Donald Cerrone. I thought that Cerrone, like, if you look at the Cerrone that fought Anthony Pettis and the one that fought, uh, the one that fought Nico Price recently, right? Like, I tended to think that version can beat Alex Morono, but Alex Morono, knowing through his coach Saif Saud that he needed to put the pressure on and just make Donald uncomfortable from moment one, he was able to do that, man, despite the fact that he's not a big hitter, despite the fact that he's a pressure fighter, but he took this on short notice, so you'd think that he'd be careful about his output. He wasn't, man. He knew that his opportunity was early. I think he knew that if it went into the second or third rounds, he was probably going to be in trouble, and man, did he pull it off with only 20 seconds left in that opening frame after buzzing Donald Cerrone several times, man. Really a good night for him, and he got a little bit of redemption for Fortis MMA. Uh, they had an otherwise pretty bad night with two of their bigger prospects losing. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mar- listen, Murano looked wild. He was throwing crazy haymakers, ex- way overextending himself on punches, but he landed enough. He just, it was incredible pressure and onslaught, and Cerrone uh, did not, he did not roll with the punches. His durability was not great. He looked he looked injured. He was not able to respond. He was not able to to counter, and he just he just got overwhelmed. That's it. It was uh, really you know we don't. He wants one more fight. He wants a fight at one fifty five. I don't know who uh, who the right matchup is to let him you know to let him go out with you know what like a with a split decision victory or something. But he seems to uh, I, you know I I get it, um, but I just I don't know. 
I got to look at the list of lightweight fighters and come up with someone that I think Donald Cerrone can beat. I mean, it, it would have it's, to be uh, somebody that's, man, for him to have a good shot at a win because it does sound like he really wants to go out on a win and he seems a lot more open to the idea of retiring soon. And I think that's the first time he's kind of voiced that. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on the BKFC circuit or as a sacrifice at Bellator. But you know what? It's a little I mean, bit of... Mm-hmm. Look at, I mean, looking down the list, I, there's only, it's funny, there's only two fighters. Uh, I'm in the top, barely in the top 50 right now of lightweight. That's including also PFL and Bellator. But I think he could have a shot against Joe Selecki, who recently beat Jim Miller, or against Vince Pichel, who also beat Jim Miller. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, both of these guys are pressure fighters. Pichel is a crafty motherfucker. Um, although Pichel is not likely to finish him early, I guess. I don't know, dude. Like, I, I'm not so sure he has a chance against those prospects. But honestly, if he's going to face someone, I'm okay with him being a prospect. So a prospect can make his name. Here's the thing. Cerrone, kind of a piece of shit of a human being, right? He's overall likable, sure. But he's made racist remarks before. He has a coach that's black. And on multiple times in his Instagram stories, I've seen clips of this. While Cerrone's under the influence of Bud Weiser, I assume, he, like, would just make these odd remarks toward his coach. And including the fact that his coach is black, like, oh, look at that, a black man on the barbecue, oh, whatever, like several comments he's made like that. He's made comments about Diego Sanchez being gay. He's I believe he's used the term faggot in the past. Um, And on top of that, he was so excited, so gung ho to rough up a way past his prime Diego Sanchez that had no business in there with him. Um, He got his comeuppance. I'm very comfortable with that at this point. I used to like Donald Cerrone a lot, but this combination of factors leads me to think of him as kind of a piece of shit. So I'm okay with it. Noted. Noted. Um, Nikolai, I I, got to go on like one diatribe about some MMA veteran just about every episode. This happens to be Donald Cerrone's day, which means, of course, that John Jones is getting the day off. Hey, man, I'm cool with it. Is David Tamar still in the UFC? He might be the guy. Nick, what the heck happened to David Tamar? I have no idea why he's not fighting. I really like the guy. He's got a great record. His last loss was to the guy that's about to fight for the title, Charles Oliveira. Um, I'm not sure where the heck he's been, but I, I'd love to see him back, and I'd love to see him you know, rough up uh, Donald Cerrone. He's exactly the kind of matchup Cerrone does not do well against. He's a just a pressure power puncher, and Cerrone's going to fall down within probably three minutes against him. I'd be cool with that matchup, too. Or are you saying Tamar versus Morono? No, no, no. Uh, Morono, I mean, there's any number of fights that open up that open up for him at 170 right now. I mean, you can't push him too far up the rankings. No, this, but I, in my opinion, I would. Uh, I mean, I would probably maybe make him a sacrificial lamb to Kamzat Shemaev or something. Sean Brady, maybe like he doesn't have much of an upside. Uh, upside, so there's not much reason to like savor him or bring him up as a prospect. He doesn't even see himself as a future contender. So well, he's not just... a prospect. He's, been, he's like he's had like 13 fights in the UFC. Um, right, right. He's, um, he's a journeyman. You know what? He's a he's he's actually the get right fight for Santiago Ponzinibbio. I'm cool with that. Oh I'm no, he's so fighting. Cool. Well, he's fighting Miguel Baeza, so uh, oh, made, probably the winner of that. Oh boy, they they gave Ponza Nabil a real challenge uh, after that rough comeback, huh? Okay, fair enough. Or it's not a bad it's not a bad fight to give Jeff Neal 
he's ready. Anyway, let's keep they're, it. They're, they're actually close training partners. Uh, I don't think they would ever oh, fight. Okay. They're, they're, they're pretty close. So as for uh, the, the rest of the way down the card, uh, Neil Magny surprised over Jeff Neal. I always underestimate this man. He always comes through. This one, like I thought that there are some fights which I didn't necessarily think he, he deserved. Oh, or... I, I picked I picked Neil Magny. No, wait, no, I didn't pick Neil Magny, but I should have. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I should get... have too. I just thought that Joff Neal. I thought he was going to get Lorenz. Yeah, uh-huh. I thought he was going to get Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, and that's the thing. Neil Magny, man, at this point, he's grown. He's got the experience. He's got the durability. He's mentally in a better place, and his conditioning is on another level, and that's on top of the fact that he trains with a high-level team. Uh, look, Jeff Neal needs fakes and feints. He needs to land low kicks once in a while. He just has this very, like, he has speed and explosiveness, right? But you know the two or three strikes that he's going to throw. It's a head kick. It's a left cross. That's really all that you genuinely have to worry about with Jeff Neal. So he needs to vary up his game. He trains with Fortis MMA. It's a high-level team. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to put something together for this guy to just employ some of those tactics. He's a really talented fighter, and it's a shame to see him lose in these matchups where, at the very least, uh, he should you know it should be a, a, a neck-break fight that could go either way. And getting kind of blown out two fights in a row after an undefeated UFC record is disappointing. Neil Magny, man, uh, look, I've got to give him a lot more respect. I've been underestimating him his entire career. At this point, he's ranked number eight. He moved up one spot after this win. And I think maybe a matchup with George Masvidal, if Masvidal is willing to entertain like somebody that's not at the highest of levels. No way. No? No way. What do you think? Vincente Luque, maybe? Did they already fight? But yeah. no, that yeah, I that I mean that that one makes uh, makes sense to me. Fair enough. Um, I mean, maybe the winner. I guess the winner of Thompson Burns is probably too much. Kiesa uh, already already beat him. I mean, he's fought just about everybody at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe the winner. Uh, oh, he's fought. I mean, I think Magni already fought Damian Maya. I was going to say the winner of Damian Maya, Bilal Muhammad. Um, yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be fine with that. That's about where Magni belongs. Also, maybe Santiago Ponzinibbio, depending on whether Ponzinibbio picks up a win or loss in his next one, because that would be a potential redemption fight for Neil Magni. I don't know if he's interested right. in that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I think or that could Sean, work. you know, or Sean Brady. It's a good. It's also a really good. Oh fight yeah, for Sean that's Brady. a great test for Brady. Huge test for Brady and a big step up. I'm into that, Nick. Um, I think the only other fight that's really worth diving into is the Gregor Gillespie Diego Ferreira fight. You and I, um, I, did you? I believe you also picked. Uh, did you pick Ferreira in this one or Gillespie? Um, I think Gillespie. Yeah, uh, th- yeah, man, that first round, Nick, you and I discussed as the fight came closer, as we found out that Ferreira uh, was about five pounds over the weight limit, we discussed how Diego Ferreira is super dangerous on the ground. He has got a lot of skills and power on the feet with his pressure and how this might just be a rough situation for Gillespie. But I, you know, I tended to think that he might win out in a war of attrition. But man, did I not think it was going to go like this. Ferreira dominated the first round. Basically, whatever he wanted, whether it was on the, mostly on the ground, right? But once they got to the floor, it just seems like Ferreira was constantly putting Gillespie in serious danger. Kind of reminding me a little bit of that Kevin Lee, uh, Charles Oliveira matchup from from about a year ago. Man, Gillespie just was drowning in that first round. Walked out of that first round wobbly and exhausted. Came into the second, Nick, like basically nothing ever happened. As soon as he got top position against Diego, it seemed like in the middle of that second round, man, it seemed like everything was going downhill. At some point, Diego Ferrer just broke, and Gregor Gillespie was able to yeah. pound him out. Unbelievable. This is a battle battle of wills. It's been it's just such so interesting because you're it's a it's a fight between two very talented guys who are on the were on the cusp of breaking out. 
um, and, and suffered and suffered decision and, su and suffered losses. Gregor Gillespie a year ago or a year and a half ago had that horrible knockout uh, to Kevin Lee, um, much less dramatic, but still certainly had an impact in his momentum. Diego Fajaya lost uh, a close decision to Benil Daryush in a terrific fight, and they were both at a crossroads. Um, are they are they still prospects? You know, neither, um, neither one's a spring chicken, but when they both came out for that second round, the will of of Gregor Gillespie to win um, was just stronger than the will of Diego Fajaya, who yeah. who knows what happened with his weight cut, but he did not have the cardio. Like Gillespie, Gillespie was resurgent, um, and Fajaya was you know just. I don't want to say that he quit, but he, he was helpless. He was helpless. Yeah, and that's what it seemed like. He, I mean, let's face it. He he stopped trying to get out of that position. I think any way you put it, he quit. Was it more because he was exhausted? And maybe, I don't know if it was an injury. I don't know if it was whatever his reason for lack of preparation was. But clearly, he didn't walk in. And he didn't look depleted on the scale either, which makes me wonder if he, like, if he thought maybe I'll just come in heavy and have an advantage. But judging by his performance, maybe he wasn't able to put in a proper training camp uh, for whatever reason. Maybe he was injured. The other thing we need to realize is that, except for I think I think the other wrestler's name was is it Jordan Burroughs? I mean, Gregor Gillespie is world class, Absolutely, verge of yeah. Olympic class, yep, uh, wrestler. So we're talking like, you know, he's fighting at one fifty five. We don't know what it feels like when you're tired to have him on you as opposed to other people. When they talk, oh about no the doubt, it's horrible. Khabib, the way that Khabib feels that there may just been nothing. You know, he may have just. Like some, there are guys who have that top control that saps souls, and uh, and, and Khabib was one of them. And based on his pedigree, it's certainly uh, it's certainly possible that that Gillespie is the same guy. The same is is kind of the same because um, he's often fighting bigger, you know, bigger guys. Yeah, no, you're right, and he did the same thing to Yancy Medeiros, where the first round Yancy was doing who's huge. Who's huge. Yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing. He he was able to employ the same kind of thing against him. Medeiros was putting up a fight, and then by the end of that second round, literally the last few seconds of that second round, Medeiros got TKO'd. Right, similar with Vince Pichel, who Pichel is a really gritty, solid veteran, eleven and one at the time going into that matchup, and he did the same thing to him, man. First round, he, it was a rough going. It wasn't easy to take him down. It wasn't easy to dominate him. But by the end of that second round, with one minute left, he arm triangle choked him. He does this to guy after guy after guy. Eventually, his pressure yeah, just tenacity. takes over. Yep. Yeah, oh, he's got But the other thing I think we should fades, mention, yeah. people were talking about how Gillespie was exhausted at the end of the first round. I do think he was tired, but I also, I think he's sustained a head trauma. I think an elbow caught him or something. Yeah, maybe. I think he was really, really, I think he was really rocked when the round ended. And then he got his, he shook the cobwebs out and got his head back. Um, well, they say that like a yeah. really, really good conditioning can help you recover quickly from a knockdown or getting hurt in that way. So, or flash knockout. Yes. Yeah. There, there's a good argument to be made. Uh, that, that makes sense to me. I'm going to rewatch the ending of that uh, fight. Curious if you really did take like something huge. Did you notice a particular strike or is that just kind of an assumption that you're making based on how he looked? Uh, it's an assumption that I'm making and the fact that there was just a lot going on quickly in a short distance. Yeah, I hear that. That, that makes sense. Man, that, that was a fantastic fight. I hope that Gillespie walked away with two bonuses. I hope for uh, uh, ended up with a bonus for fight of the night because, man, that was absolutely insane. 
Tides could not turn any more than they did in that fight from the first round to the second round. Unbelievable performance by Gillespie. Uh, quickly going to run through this. Diego de Lima beat Maurice Green, who's really unskilled. Um, Phil Hawes, you were right about. I picked Kyle Dawkins, and he ended up basically taking us heart in a similar way that Gregor Gillespie did. And Phil Hawes, with, the reason I couldn't pick him in this matchup was because I questioned his cardio. He had... He had it in spades in this one. Mike Trezano picked up a bad decision yeah, his over... Boxing, just, mm-hmm. But his boxing looked like shit in the first round. Yeah, you're right. In the first round, it seems like Dawkins was having his way, and I thought, oh, man, if the first round is not going well for Hawes, I don't know how this. I don't know how he's going to win this fight. And, man, he really came out strong in the second and third rounds, literally the opposite of his last fight, which made me question his, question his heart a little bit, his will uh, very late in the fight, but it made me question his conditioning. And, dude, he fixed it here. Whatever he did, he fixed it. Like, at this point, he's a veteran with some flaws, but he's extremely athletic, hits very hard, has that wrestling background. He could very well end up in that top 10 uh, with this level of skill and what he was able to do to Dawkins, man. That was impressive. Um, and then uh, Mike Trezano picked up what I thought was a pretty bad decision over Ludovic Klein. I thought Klein was mostly in control of this fight. You can make the argument for Trezano taking one round, but definitely not two, in my opinion. Uh, this was another bad decision two weeks in a row, in my opinion, at least. Jung Young Park, fantastic performance. He outboxed and outwrestled Tafan and Jukwe. And I talked about how Jung Young Park has good wrestling and he has really crisp boxing and he's faster. So there was a chance he could take over Tafan. But I had a little bit of confidence in Tafan because I thought he was something special. And then uh, Carlston Harris picked up a first round submission over Christian Aguilera. Yeah, not a bad card. Not a bad card. But um, it doesn't, you know, not quite the star power that the upcoming one has. No, you are right. Let's take a break, come back, and we're going to dive into UFC 262, Oliveira versus Chandler. There's a lot to dive into. There are 12 fights on the docket as of now, Nick. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up with three at the end of uh, this week. Let's take a break, come back, and break it down. Back on the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast, and Nick and I are going to get into our draft picks for this event. Uh, for our regular listeners, you already know how this works, but for the new ones, we take turns picking fighters that are going to compete on the upcoming card uh, at the end of Saturday night. Whichever of us has more successful fighters on our roster ends up winning the week. I believe I have a six-point advantage over Nick, uh, but Nick has been catching up. He caught up by two and a half points in the last couple of events. Nick, I believe I have the first pick on this event, and I think I'm going to take Gina Mazzano to beat Priscilla Cachuera. Cachuera is heavy-handed, especially for a 125-pounder. She doesn't really have a whole lot else outside of that. Her takedown defense is not very good. Uh, she's a good nail. She's a good hammer, but not a great nail. Mazzani has been looking really good, especially since she switched camps and weight classes recently. She now competes at 125 instead of 135, and she trains under James Krause. I like her to take uh, Priscilla Cachorra down at will and dominate her. She should be the stronger girl, even though she might not be the harder hitter. Yeah, I agree, I agree 100%. This is a good fight for Gina Mazzano. Um, my first pick, here we go, going to get crazy i think uh i think i'm gonna go with benil daryush to uh to wipe the floor with with uh tony ferguson um listen i think this is a tough fight for ferguson even if uh even at the best of times and daryush is i think going to be able to get takedowns i think he's incredibly hard to submit and 
Tony overwhelms people with strikes. He he's never had uh, the kind the kind of pop that gives ben, that has given uh, Benil Darius a, a lot of trouble. Um, so I just I, I think this is a really tough draw for Tony uh, if he's to have a get right fight. Um, he's fighting one of the most elite guys. I think Khabib was very, you know, Ferguson was was uh, tweeting some stuff about Khabib. And Khabib is like, hey, you should pay attention. You're fighting the most underrated guy in the division. He's gonna fuck you up. And I I don't I don't think Khabib is saying that emotionally. I think he actually believes that based on how Dar- Darius's skill set and how Ferguson matches up against that. So I'm on Team Benil, Team Khabib, and I think uh, you know I think Tony Ferguson's angel wings uh, have been clipped. Yeah, I'm very much there with you. And this probably would have been my next pick as well. There's a chance Daryush gets clipped fight by Ferguson. Um, Ferguson has historically had some power. He was actually one of the few guys to seriously hurt uh, Justin Gaethje with that uppercut, I believe, at the end of the second round of their fight. Eh, and everybody Justin, rocks Gaethje, but go ahead. No, I, I disagree. In that way, not really. Like, not... Um, he, 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 he watched his, his, his WSO fights. He got rocked like that in those two. He never... He didn't get finished, but he would... He would eat him and stumble around. It was a it was a, a theme, a motif in his career. Yes, against heavy hitters. Okay. So all I'm saying is that he can get clipped uh, by Ferguson here. We've seen Darius get knocked out several times, but I'm picking Darius with confidence like you are. His power counters mixed in with his body kick, I think is going to be tough to handle for anyone. We also saw Ferguson taken down and dominated by Charles Oliveira in his last fight. Darius is probably a better wrestler than Chucky Olives, and his top game was probably more dangerous. The last two guys to beat Ferguson were awarded title shots. I think with a dominant win or a big finish, Daryush can kind of at least make the strong argument for a title shot. Obviously, that only will happen if Poirier or the winner of Poirier McGregor don't uh, vie for that title shot right away. But I like uh, I like Benny Dar to pick up a signature win on his way to bigger and better things. The line in this one is also great uh, betting opportunity as Daryush could be, should be, I think, a much bigger favorite. I'm surprised that it's so close. So definitely plop some money down on Benny Dar. My next pick is going to be this one. This one I'm not super confident in, but I'm going to go with Christos Chiagos to beat Sean Soriano. Chiagos actually had a much tougher matchup up until two weeks ago, and Sean Soriano is the last-minute replacement. Sean Soriano already had a UFC stint, trains at Sanford MMA, and he kind of washed out of the UFC back then. He's a great striker, but his issue is his ground game is not really that great. Chiagos has the wrestling to exploit that. Chiagos might slow down in the third round, but... Sean Soriano didn't have a full training camp, so I don't expect him to be in phenomenal shape per se, although he does train with Michael Chandler, he's a close friend and training partner of his. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in solid shape, and he could possibly clip Chiagos late in the fight, but I like Chiagos to get takedowns and dominate from top position here. Uh, I'm with you on this one also. My uh, my next pick is, I can't wait to hear what you think about this. Uh, I'm going to pick Antonina Shevchenko uh, to defeat the always game Andrea Lee. I feel like for a fighter coming off of some losses, this is a really tough draw for Lee. Um, she, I don't, although Shevchenko has been susceptible to the takedown and is, doesn't have the ground game that her sister has, um, much more of a, a traditional Muay Thai fighter. Just I don't, I don't think Lee's wrestling has the wrestling in size um, to do what Caitlin Chukagian did to Shevchenko. Um, and I think that ending up in the clinch and boxing with Shevchenko uh, is going to be very difficult for the diminutive Lee. Very athletic, I think. It's always kind of game. I just think this is a tough fight where she's going to get roughed up in the clinch, eat a lot of elbows, eat shots from range. 
Um, and I don't see a lot of paths to victory for her uh, based on the, like this, mostly the, disp- the disparity in size and striking ability. Yeah, I am there with you on the pick very slightly, though. Andrea Lee is on a bit of a skid, and that sucks for her because I do think she's talented and she's got skills in a lot of places. Um, here's the thing. Yeah. She's also a good striker along with Anthony Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko is going to have the edge there. But Andrea Lee, even though her takedown defense isn't great, she does have uh, pretty good offensive takedowns. So there's a chance that she can ground Shevchenko a couple of times. She should be should be a notch above Shevchenko. But I do think, after all, Shevchenko, after years and years of training with her sister, who is by far the best in this weight uh, class, by far the most skilled woman, I think, in the entire world when it comes to mixed martial arts. Um, I think she is sharpening up her game. She is improving every time we see her out there. Um, so I, I'm there with you by a relatively close margin, but I think all the rest of these fights are relatively close on paper. My next pick is going to be, and for me at least, this is where it gets really, really tough, and I'm going to have a hard time committing to these picks now. I think I'm going to take Caitlin Chukagian to beat Viviana Arujo. You might disagree with this one. I know Arujo's like a real hot prospect, but Caitlin's experience at a high level is one factor. Arujo might have the power to hurt Shukagin in the similar way that Shukagin was hurt in her last fight against Andrade, but Shukagin, I think, should be able to keep distance for the most part. She's not going to stand in front of Arujo and trade punches with her, although she has become more comfortable in the pocket lately. I also think she's going to go for takedowns. I'm not confident that she'll get them, and I think Arujo might be athletic enough to get out of those positions. Not confident in this one. I'm picking Shukagin because I think she might be able to dance from the outside and score points with kicks. I'm picking. I'm going to pick Shukagin also. That was uh, I was I was debating whether or not what of those the pick I made or that one uh, I was going to roll with. Oh, I, I think next um, I'm going to pick, this is a really tough one. I love both of these guys. Um, but I thought that this fight against, against Dan Iga at San Barbosa looked really good at, uh, at 145. And while I, while I like Shane Burgos, I don't, and, and Edson has been susceptible over his career uh, to getting knocked out, to eating shots. I, I just, I think that in a, in a shootout um, fight, Burgos also gets zapped and, and has been hurt. I just think that Barbosa's got this guy has a superior technique and should be able to avoid getting KO'd. Um, I see this being a 29-28 or 30-27 decision uh, for Barbosa based on his crisp, his crisp uh, kickboxing and just land, landing more uh, and and uh, and more impactful shots. It could, you know, Burgos Burgos could could uh you know end it for him but i just i don't think that's what's going to happen yeah barboza likes to circle on the outside waiting for a chance to set his feet so he can attack which is why he doesn't do well against pressure fighters since like they never give him the opportunity to actually set his feet before exploding burgos is a high output pressure fighter Barboza tends to fight a knockout opportunity against pressure strikers who don't have serious knockout power, though, especially ones that can be knocked down. Burgos is exactly that, right? He's a pressure fighter with without deathly KO power. He can be he can like overwhelm a guy over the course of the, the the fight and then you know eventually TKO him in the third round, but he doesn't have that kind of knockout power that just shuts you right off. Um, and Burgos's chin can be clipped. He's been knocked down a bunch of times in the UFC, including a couple of times in his last fight. More importantly, Burgos is super hittable. And that's the thing. He looks slick, and he shouldn't be, but he is. Um, but he does tend to recover quickly when hurt, since I think his conditioning is pretty up there. Like in the third round, he looks his best usually. Burgos can break an opponent down before finishing him with strikes, but he doesn't have uh, that one-touch power that draw, you know, like Justin Gaethje and Josh Emmett. 
he needs to throw at least 100 strikes, I think, before his opponent is overwhelmed. Um, Burgos is a slow starter, and Barboza is a momentum fighter. So I think Burgos being a slow fighter might allow Barboza to get some momentum going, and then it's really hard to disrupt Barboza's rhythm once he's in that flow. So if he does let him in early like that, I expect Barboza to take over, and it's going to be hard to catch up. Plus, Barboza's leg and body kicks, I think, will slow Burgos's offense down. Uh, but if Burgos can start hot, I think it'll be very difficult in reverse for Barboza to catch up. Like both these guys, like for Barboza, it's all about momentum. If it starts going badly, he's not coming back uh, in all likelihood unless he can catch a shot like he did against Benil Daryush. But if he can get it going, so hard to stop him. I'm picking Barboza, who I think will have the early success and gain momentum. Uh, this will likely be fight of the night, and I'm super excited to see this fight, man. My next pick. Yeah, yeah me too, for sure. Yeah, uh, my next pick is going to be... I'm going to go ahead and pick the main event. Both Chandler and Oliveira like to press forward with fakes as they set up opportunities to strike. Chandler is mostly dangerous with his hands, while uh, Chucky Olives has his hands, his knees, his elbows, his kicks. All of that can end a fight, and that's not even to mention his submission game. Chandler's not been able to put together more than four fights without a loss since he lost his first fight in a rematch to Eddie Alvarez years ago. He's currently on only a three-fight winning streak, while Oliveira's on an eight-fight winning streak on the UFC stage, right? Uh, Chandler was able to pressure and set up his left hook against Hooker, who was basically running away the entire fight. If the hooker that fought his last, uh, his prior couple of fights fought Chandler, could have gone the other way, but Hooker just did not want to engage. It was the weirdest thing. Oliver is really good at countering as a shorter opponent comes in for offense, basically using his opponent's forward movement against him as he clips him on the way in. Oliveira can be hurt on the feet, but Chandler was knocked out by a 145-pounder in Patricio Pitbull with the first punch he threw back in 2019. Like, honestly, a year and a half ago, not that long. Chandler's 35, so his chin is not going to get any better, right? It's not going to get more durable, while Oliveira's 31 with a wealth of UFC experience. And I can't remember Oliveira taking horrible, horrible punishment, maybe against Paul Felder in his last loss on the ground, but not a whole lot outside of that. I think Chandler's has... Two paths to victory, right? He can score a big punch and knock Oliveira out, kind of like he did against Hooker, and he's done that throughout his career to like mid-level fighters. Or he can take Oliveira down and kind of try and stay safe in his guard as he scores points and kind of hopes to tire Oliveira, who was beaten that way by Paul Felder about three and a half years ago. For either of these to work, he has to survive Oliveira's sharp counters from literally every weapon possible, or he has to avoid getting submitted from top position. Both are possible, but really, really difficult. I think Oliveira will be throwing consistent jabs, calf kicks, and teeps to draw out Chandler's offense so Charles can counter with some big shots. I think he hurts Chandler on the feet and submits him shortly after. I'm picking the younger, taller, more UFC-experienced fighter who has more weapons to choose from, but this is a close fight for a good reason. Chandler has a path to victory. I just think it's the less likely path. What are your thoughts on this one, bud? I agree with all that. It's... um. It's so hard to judge this Oliveira surge because of the quality of the competition and not knowing exactly where Tony Ferguson really is. Then again, Dan Hooker did not look like he wanted to be there and didn't look like the Dan Hooker of the Felder fight um, or or any of the other recent fights. And we've seen so little. We only saw, you know, a minute and a half or whatever of Chandler in the UFC. So really, really tough one to call. We've been watching Chucky Olive since he grew, you know, grow up in the octagon, essentially. Um, and he's 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 filled out. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's more confident. Um, he's da- he's dangerous everywhere. And uh, I I mean for me this comes down to I, I'd like I'd love to see this guy we've been watching for a decade um, get you know get the gold 
even if he only has it temporarily, it just it would be much more satisfying. This is a pick him. I don't know what's going to happen. Chandler has big power. Um, but this Oliveira seems different. He doesn't seem like Oliveira who used to have some quit in him. The Oliveira who, you know, fell in the corner with something wrong with his neck against, um, against Max Holloway. Holloway. Yep. Like, yeah, um, in Oliveira who lost, you know, who lost quite a few fights. Uh, but he was growing up. He was filling out. And this, the guy that we're seeing now has really can really. I, it seems like can really put it all together. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for him, and he's ever as to quote. Uh, or evoke you ever so slightly. I'm going to give the edge <laughs> to uh, Charles Oliveira. Yeah, th- this one, this one, I'm very much looking forward to because we're going to learn a lot uh, from the result of this fight. I think about both guys, and we're going to see hopefully one of these guys face off with hopefully, hopefully Poirier or McGregor for the sake of their career trajectory. Dude, I know it's going to be a fantastic fight, and the face off today uh, at press press day was was uh, super intense. Like you know, one of those ones where they shake hands, pat each other on the back, and then have a stare down like they're um you know like they're pretty excited to to murder one another i like um it. so yeah i'm i'm down for that for sure uh my next fight i'm gonna go ahead and pick um i think i think just based on his uh just based on his strength uh, and his, uh that the uh that the english fighter um mike grundy is i, I suspect he's going to be too strong for londo Venata. Um, and Venata ha- just hasn't had a lot of success or looked consistent, um, like really against any, you know, any premier fighters since he had that, that little bit of an exciting run five years ago where he, uh, he rocked Tony Ferguson and then he knocked out John McDessie, um, before, you know, losing to a couple of, uh, up and comers and David Tamor and Drakkar Close and having, uh, some good fights with Bobby Green. But I just I think uh, I think Mike Grundy's a bad style matchup for him, so I'm going to take Grundy. Yeah, to your point, Lando Venata's given up you know multiple takedowns to people that have actually tried to take him down in the past. So there's definitely that argument to be made. It's also interesting that Venata's actually cutting down to 145 pounds for the first time in his career for this one. Uh, both guys uh, slow down as the fight progresses. Obviously, Lando has more varied and deeper skill set standing. Grundy will have the advantage in the athleticism, strength, and wrestling. There's one thing almost all of Lando's losses have in common is that they're to kind of bigger, more athletic men, which I think describes Grundy in this one, despite the fact that Lando's exactly. the one moving down. Uh, right. It, it also, Lando, like I said, gives up plenty of takedowns, and Grundy is a solid, solid wrestler. Um I, I'm picking Grunday, but with a lot of trepidation just because it seems like Lando's in a really good place. Judging by his Instagram, he's in phenomenal shape. Um, I could see uh, Lando for the first time being in great cardio shape because he had to cut down and Grundy tiring out in the middle of that second round and Lando really putting it on him, so it's possible. But again, all the rest of these picks are super close. I'm going to agree with you with some trepidation as we, you know, as I'll probably feel about every other pick left. My next pick, I think I'm going to go ahead and take Jamie Pickett to beat Jordan Wright. I don't necessarily think this is a popular pick. Jordan Wright has this like distance karate style um, where he doesn't really have the greatest boxing, but his kicking game is good. His footwork is pretty good, as you would expect from most traditional martial artists. Jamie Pickett is the kind of guy who, like, like when he's attacking, he is nasty dangerous. He is fast when he's actually willing to throw, but he's not always willing to throw. It seems to me like this is a matchup between two guys that don't like being pressured, and so whoever is willing to pressure here will probably win. I think that's going to be more likely Jamie Pickett. I also think Jamie Pickett, the way that 
that he finished his contender series bout where he just kind of lunged forward with a six strike combo and knocked the guy out. That's exactly the kind of thing that works against Jordan Wright and his two knockout losses. So I expect Jamie Pickett hopefully at some point will just explode and finish Jordan Wright against the fence the way that Jordan's been finished uh, twice under the UFC banner at this point. I think one of those was, by the way, on the contender series. Yeah, I think that I think that Joaquin Buckley kind of gave us a bit of a blueprint on Jordan Wright. I don't know that enough time has passed uh, for any of the change. I think uh, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, looking at the odds on this one, should be pretty close. Yeah, right? it's pretty it's pretty even. Yes, actually even money. So it could be an interesting uh, interesting fight to bet. Um, Coming up I, for the next pick, it's, it's I think it's really a question of how done is you know how done is Jacare? Uh, can a fighter coming up victories over Antonio Arroyo and Bartosz Fabinski, um, you know, compete with a guy with a guy who's coming off of uh, th- three losses? And if you really go, go back, he's, you know, Jacare lost to Gastelum uh, three years ago, almost three years ago exactly. Three years ago, yesterday, he lost to Gaslam, and since then, he snatched a victory from the jaws of defeat against Wiseman. Weidman, I'm sorry, and then and then lost to Hermanson, Blahovich, and and Holland. Um, re, you know, it's like is is Jacques, is Jacare done? Is Muniz have you know uh, who I think is the um, the level of fighter that Jacare would have would have blown through six years ago? Um, is he going to have enough? And my, this is, this is a tough one. Um, again, this this fight's also completely even money uh, in in the bets. Although I suspect that uh, Munoz will become uh, the underdog as money comes in on on Jacare, but we'll you know we'll see about that. Uh, we'll see how he looks at the weigh-in. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Jacare here. I think he's got. I think he's got enough left, and he's had a he's had a very tough he's had a very tough run of opponents. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't had a tough run. That last loss, though, man, it's so worrying. The way that that fight worked out, you you don't tend Collins to. Collins exp- made a bunch of guys look dumb though with his fists. Yeah, but from his back, that's that's really the worrying thing about it. Like Jacare is the same guy who went five rounds in, granted, a very inactive fight against the light heavyweight champion Jan Blackowitz just kind of, you know, a year, year and a half ago. It just seems like that version, like if that version fought Jan Blackowitz that just fought Kevin Holland, he would have been starts probably within a but couple this, of rounds. Although Jan yeah. did, did really, he was super, super careful to be fair. He wasn't throwing power shots. It was no. mostly uh, mm-hmm. jabs. Look, Jacare's gym. Let me just say, let's mm-hmm. wait one more pint. Like Muniz yep. hasn't, knocked, hasn't knocked anybody out at a, at a high, at a high level. Um, he's, no, know, he, he's, he hasn't really he's, fought anyone at a high level yet. He's pretty young in his career, I think. And well, he's, I mean, he's 30, he's 31 with a, a, a fair number of fights. I think he's got, you know, 23 fights. Is that correct? Or how much? Let me see. Yeah, it should be around there. But what I mean by that is that, like, you know, he just entered the UFC two fights ago, and you know, fought, right. fought as as good a competition as you're expected to fight. You know, uh, two fights into your UFC career, he just hasn't had the chance to face the upper echelon guys. Is what I meant. I just don't know if he's. A, I just don't know that his striking is going to be. Uh, I just don't know that his striking is going to be like UFC caliber, but we'll see. 
Yeah, Jacare's chin is not durable anymore, and Munoz has pa- Muniz has power, but his technique standing leaves plenty to be desired, obviously. Munoz was knocked out in all four of his losses, and despite Jacare's chin, I think he should have the technical edge standing. Jacare still has some pretty solid wrestling against non-wrestlers. Munoz's wrestling is pretty bad overall. Muniz's, excuse me. Uh, he usually gets taken down before setting up a submission, so Jacare has the edge there. Momentum is squarely in Muniz's corner. He's on a six-fight winning streak, four of them by some form of finish, while Jacare's on a three-fight losing streak, two and five in his last seven fights. Granted, Jacare's been fighting you know, much better competition. Kevin Holland is not elite. He's not even close. Uh, BJJ should favor Jacare since he was once considered, like, one of the two or three best grapplers on the entire planet. Uh, but Muniz has some sick Brazilian jiu-jitsu himself and is a high-level black belt. And with Jacare's decline, I wouldn't be surprised if Muniz might have a bit of an edge there. The thing is that is going to get top position, which is what makes me favor him ever so slightly. I I mean, I know Jacare was almost caught in a submission by Jack Hermanson, and honestly, I'll box by Jack Hermanson again. Like, thinking back to all of this worries me. Um, but I, I'm going to edge... Uh, I'm go- Like, I think the result of this fight depends almost exclusively on how shot Jacare is at this point. Um, I think he should be able to get takedowns at will if he wants them. There's a good chance he gets schooled by the younger fighter, but uh, might even get clipped. But I'm favoring Jacare very, very slightly. L- look, there's uh, I definitely hear where you're coming from. All these are pickums in the last few bouts. It's just really hard to tell where he is, where he is in his career, and it's also tricky because a lot of like if we judge people under the last fight or two. It might be that they weren't able to put in real training camps because of COVID restrictions, and so it's hard to gauge exactly where where anybody is. I think that actually also applies to a guy like Lando Venata, who, because of COVID restrictions, wasn't able to train very much for his last fight. I think I'm going to take the Machinel-Bontarin matchup to me is interesting for a lot of reasons. Obviously, Bontarin has the grappling, right? And he's he's got pretty good takedowns, pretty good scrambling. And if he's able to get you into a bad position, you might be in trouble. And Chanel doesn't have the best wrestling. That's probably the biggest weakness in his game. But he is really, really sharp standing, doesn't have a good chin. Uh, Bontarin hits hard, but I don't know how likely it is that he'll catch him since Snell has recently kind of worked on his deficiencies where he's willing to brawl with guys that hit way harder, even if he might be faster and more technical. I'm going to pick Snell because he's had a full training camp, um, and I expect him to stay safe like he did in his last fight uh, against Tyson Nam, who's a heavy hitter, right? He could have gotten in trouble by brawling with him, but he didn't. And granted, it was a close fight. He looked sharp. He looked fast. He looked consistent throughout the fight. I'm going to pick Schnell. He had a full training camp, but Bontorin is fun to watch. I know he's on a two-fight skid, but that doesn't give him enough credit, I think, as as to how skilled he overall is, how gritty he is. Um, I'm taking Schnell, but again, with trepidation, it's like every other goddamn fight on this uh, event. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Schnell also. We got a nice shout out from Alex Morano on his uh, AMA on Reddit today. Um, I think those guys train together. So that leaves cool. me with the unenviable task of picking uh, Kevin Aguiar against Top Gun, Tucker Lutz. Um, Lutz is one of those guys coming off a couple of contender series wins. I guess didn't get the the call to the big leagues after his, his first victory, both decision wins. Uh, Aguiar's been in the dance for, uh, you know, for a minute, but he's, he's, um, you know, come off of, coming off his fight with Rick Glenn at the at uh the at the tough twenty eight finale, he's just uh one and three. Um, went over Enrique Barzola, and then tougher competition. I mean, Dan Iga, uh, Zubera took uh, took Ugov and a split decision against uh, crafty Charles Rosa. Um, it seems 
like it's his his kind of like it's his last stand against um, Aguirre's last stand against Tucker Lutz's uh, first dance. So, I mean, my uh, my instinct in this case is to go uh, go with the momentum of, of the prospect coming off of the two contender series wins, uh, who hasn't tasted defeat. Um, you know, since uh, 2015 in his very first uh, professional fight uh, against the, the man who uh, is on a bit of a slide. Yeah, that was my instinct as well. But what what I think is going to end up changing my mind and it's changing as we speak is that it seems like Aguilar has had a pretty decent training camp. I'm not sure that he did leading up to that Charles Rosa fight. We know that American top team was fully up and running. All their fighters were training full-time uh, over COVID. I'm not so sure that was the case in New Mexico. And I think that it affected guys like Vinata and Aguilar in this case, by the way, both of whom trained together in New Mexico. So I'm going to edge toward Aguilar. He came into the UFC, looked like he had some good fundamentals, power in his hands, good takedown defense, and a good chin, winning his first two, and then like on a bit of a skid now, right? Two of those fights on the skid are the Taihugov and Ige, who are really, really good opponents. And then Rosa, which like if you're getting out kickboxed by Rosa, that's concerning. But I, I assume that's the one in which he did not have a full training camp. Um, and for that reason, he just seems slower. Lutz is pretty fast when he's attacking, but sometimes doesn't really throw enough. He has decent boxing combos in the front foot and pretty hard leg kicks when he decides to explode. But his wrestling and top position grappling is probably his best strength. Although he's not an elite wrestler, um, I think he's only kind of had high school experience. Because of the takedown defense of Aguilar and because I think he might be just a little bit more active standing than Lutz, I'm going to go with Aguilar, but not a whole lot of confidence in this one. It's hard to be confident in a guy that is on a three-fight losing streak, obviously, even if he's fighting a guy that's streaking. For the record, Lutz lost his uh, MMA debut and then went on to win his next 11 fights, including those two contender series decisions. So on paper, it looks great. Uh, I can't recognize a single training partner. I have no idea who he's training with as coaches. I've never heard of those people. So uh, hard to to assume that he's got a very high-level game or even experience training against high-level guys. So I'm going to go with Aguiar, who's training with some high-level people in New Mexico. But again, uh, just a really close one and a difficult one to pick. That will do it for this card, Nick. Uh, I really am looking forward to this. I think there's like part of what makes this event interesting to pick is is the fact that all these matchups are so close on paper, right? Chandler could just clock him with a bomb early in a fight, and it doesn't matter that Oliveira's faster or more skilled or what have you. Um, it doesn't matter that Chandler might get tired over the course of the fight or the, that Oliveira might lose heart over the course of the fight. And, and all these dynamics, I think, exist in a lot of these matchups, and that's what makes it interesting. I think the only kind of confident pick but in this event is probably Benio Dariush over Tony Ferguson. I'm not even like super confident in some of the bigger odds. Ferguson's lose, losing his mind. He just suggested that Michael Chandler's getting his title shot because of white privilege. <laughs> like, I don't I don't even want to say. Like he's he's yeah. lost his mind a, a long long time ago. Um I don't think white privilege has anything to do with it, but for the record, Tony Ferguson went on a 11 or 12 fight winning streak before he got a, a, a I don't think he ever got a proper title shot by the way. And granted it's partially his fault cuz he had to pull out a couple times, but I mean, if you think about it, Michael Chandler one fucking win, three fight winning streak, two of them in Bellator. Uh, and you know, coming into the UFC and, and fighting less than one round, and he gets a title shot. It is ludicrous, right? By all means, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's not surprising when people, you know, someone who's someone who's marketable with network TV recognition and comes in and wins a fight against a uh, former contender in a spectacular fashion. Like it's just, you know, I mean, I'm rooting for Charlie Olives, but I think I think Ferguson's just been saying a lot of weird stuff lately. He's, he's on the Diego Sanchez train. 
Oh, yeah, you know what? That would be the perfect, like, Nick, if I'm going to be the third member of the School of Self-Awareness, I think that I would be honored for Tony Ferguson to be member number four. I think that would be pretty special. Me and and Diego Sanchez, Stefan Bonner, and and Tony Ferguson, and Joshua Fabia just, like, hanging, just chilling, talking about how unfair the world is to us, how everything is upside down, and everybody should be extremely complimentary and respectful toward us in any way, in the form or fashion. Nick. Would you join this call with us? Nope. Would you consider it? Uh-uh, Come on. No, I'm just, I just want to gain more points. I'm bummed I've got no, there's no one to pick who's a, who's a, a real underdog that can help me double up, but I'm feeling pretty good about my picks. I'm excited next week. I don't want to get into that card too much, but Rob Font, Cody Garbrand should be a burner. Uh, and Jack Hermanson, uh, Edmund Shabazian, and then we got uh, Jean Anyan against Carlos Barza. Top three fights there are all, are all fights that matter. Um, Pardon me, a lot for the yeah, ranking. Definitely. So a pretty good top trio um, for the Fight Night card. That's on 522, so we'll be getting together um, next week to talk about that one. Until then, my friend, uh, stay frosty and uh, watch your ass because I'm catching you in the point. You too, buddy. You better catch up, kid. You better catch up and get my form back in no time over here. Get some of these decisions to go right for me. Enjoy uh, Charlie Alas, Michael Chandler. Take care. You too, buddy.